Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krauss coming to you from Isolation Studios in downtown Toronto. Now, those who have been listening to this podcast know that it's not a studio, it's my home office uh, in my house. And I'm coming to you this because I've been self-isolating for about a month. And what that means though, and it just kind of dawned on me today, and it hit me like a thunderbolt almost, is that in the last month, the only other person I have touched is my wife. The only person that I've exchanged more than two or three sentences with, or more than two or three sentences with, is my wife in person. Uh, of course, we're using Zoom and all the other social networking tools that we have at our fingertips now to keep in touch with people, but the actual one-on-one -on -one human contact has been really kept to a minimum. And I know it's hard for people out there, and I, I know that there's a weight that comes with that, but it is the way I think that it has to be if we are to get through this and then can eventually not listen to this podcast anymore and actually go out and see movies in theaters and, and speak more than two or three sentences to the people that we want to talk to, the people we love uh, outside of our homes again. So let's stay with it. Every day is just one day. If it's a bad day, the next day hopefully will be a little better. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know that every now and again, I pop up on your feed with three more movie suggestions. There are a lot of minutes to fill in the day. So I have these suggestions for you that come from my collection. They're films that I, every now and again, I'll just be thinking, mm, it'll hit me like a thunderbolt. Oh, I haven't thought about that movie for a while. I haven't seen that movie for a while. Let's tell people about it. So there's three today that are from the more recent past. Uh, earlier on, I was really digging back there. We're going to choose some movies now that you can easily find uh, on streaming services. A lot of these will be on Crave or uh, Netflix or Hulu or however it is that you're seeing movies legally these days. First up is a film called Nose to Tail. The Toronto restaurant, helmed by Chef Daniel, played by Aaron Abrams in the movie Nose to Tail, is a lovely high-end bistro that promises good service and even better food. It looks effortless, like a swan drifting elegantly on a lake. It may feel calm in the front of the house, but the restaurant, like the swan, is paddling like hell to stay afloat. Written and directed by first-timer Jesse Ziegelstein, Nose to Tail takes place over the course of one crisis-filled day. Waking up hungover in his cramped downstairs office, Daniel begins planning a special meal for a VIP table of investors who, if impressed, might provide the financial lifeline the restaurant needs to survive. Before dinner service begins, however, he must deal with an unhappy landlord, a disappointed ex-wife, and the loss of a sous chef. Also, like flies buzzing around a rotten piece of meat, there's a food truck across the street that may be siphoning Daniel's customers and an annoying food blogger who seems to know more about the state of Daniel's restaurant than Daniel does. Nose to tail isn't likely to debut on Food Network's movie night if there was such a thing. A portrait of a narcissistic chef driven by ego, alcohol, and pure rage, it shows more of the reality of restaurant life than any celebrity chef reality show. He's an anti-hero, a person who wields his talent and reputation like a sword to sleep with his hostess or to treat his protégés in the kitchen like servants, but he's also quite compelling. He may be the architect of his own demise, but Abrams helps keep the audience on side. 
he's incorrigible, but there's always a lingering sense that his often irredeemable behavior is born out of a sense of failure, not power. He was once a hotshot, an up-and-comer, but is now being left behind and it has crushed him. Abrams gives him layers. He's not likable, but he's also not simply a self-loathing Gordon Ramsay Hell's Kitchen stereotype either. I asked Aaron Abrams about playing a character that has that kind of dimension and how it is that he manages to keep us on side with the character. You can't just have a guy who's essentially in every scene of the movie talking and yelling at everyone mm -hmm. and him it would just be white noise if he didn't really want love from people um, and and be pouring everything into trying to get that. So it's not just that he's like some perfectionist diva and it's not that he's bitching. Um, he's he's passionate. He's he's um, uh, sort of animalistic. I've, I found that like, people like in the Cassavetes world, like, right. the, those kinds of performances were those are kind of bad guys, but you're kind of rooting for them. Nose to Tail occasionally feels overstuffed with complications. Daniel is having a very bad day, but its determination to not smooth out Daniel's rough edges makes it worth a look. Now, have you ever wondered what it must be like to come of age in an era of information overload, motivational YouTube videos and school shooter drills? With eighth grade, a funny, blistering look at life in junior high, director Bo Burnham gives you a peek, morphing from creator and star of MTV's Zack Stone is gonna be famous into the modern day John Hughes. Elsie Fisher is Kayla, a newly minted teen struggling through the last week of eight grade. The hardest part of being yourself is that it's not easy, the 13-year-old says in one of the many inspirational YouTube videos she posts on the web in a search for friends, validation, and most of all, likes. Trouble is, she's no Jenna Marbles. Despite being glued to her phone and coining a perky catchphrase, Gucci, she has no social media presence to speak of. It's not much better in IRL. That's in real life, for those who don't know. Ignored by schoolmates, she's only invited to the popular girl's pool party because the popular girl's mom has a crush on Kayla's father, Mark. And speaking of her long-suffering dad, he spends his time trying to make contact only to be met with monosyllabic grunts as he desperately tries to distract her from her ever-present phone. Ultimately, 8th grade is all about Kayla's attempts at feeling connected and finding a place in a world where screens separate people. 8th grade is an unvarnished, pimples-and-all look at adolescence and the anxiety that comes with it. Kayla may not always be able to exactly articulate the way she's feeling, but the movie has no such problem. It's a study in her innocence and awkwardness that uses carefully selected moments to highlight Kayla's mindset. A pool party scene where she has to wear a bathing suit in front of the cool kids from school wordlessly displays her insecurities while her excited, sweet reaction to being invited to hang out at the mall by an older friend is genuine and heartfelt. Later, a game of truth or dare contains as much suspense as any action movie that we've seen this year. Those sequences combined with the discomfort Elsie Fisher brings to Kayla's day-to-day -day and the very dramatic music that underscores the highs and lows of her life, you take all that and you have a slice-of-life portrait that feels completely authentic. I asked director Bo Burnham what he meant when he said, on the internet, we're all 8th graders. 
This is what he had to say. I just think, the, yeah, I think the internet makes eighth graders of us all, it feels like. Or definitely feels like when I look at my friends that are you know, 20, in their late 20s and 30s, <laughs> I'm like, why are we acting like 13-year-olds? Um, I mean, the internet elected a 13-year-old president in my country. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like the cultural discourse is happening at an eighth grade level a little bit. So, like, to be able to talk about it with an actual eighth grader actually becomes way more honest and, and let, you know. Because sometimes when we talk about the internet in terms of adults, it just becomes so hateable so easily. Yeah. And, 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 and to talk uh, about it through a kid, you can kind of forgive yourself a little bit more. You can maybe look at your own narcissism and your own need to self-express and see it in the kid and be like, oh, right, I'm just kind of scared and want love and want connection. And now, as Monty Python used to say, here's something completely different. Movies like The Strangers prey at night unsettle me more than stories featuring Dracula, Frankenstein, or anything else that goes bump in the night because there's nothing supernatural going on. At the same time, there's nothing really natural about the horrors unleashed by the all-too-human monsters of this film. The story gets underway when parents Cindy and Mike, played by Christina Hendricks and Martin Henderson, load their teens into the car on the way to a new life. Leaving the city behind, they're off to Gatlin Lake, a small community that empties out after Labor Day. The change is an attempt to separate the teens from the bad influences surrounding them in the city. And you know the daughter in particular is a rebellious teen because she wears an off-the-shoulder Ramones t-shirt and smokes cigarettes. Arriving at their new home, a deserted trailer park, the kids are immediately bored as their parents try and make the best of an uncomfortable situation. Things get lively when three masked psycho killers, Dollface, Man in the Mask, and Pinup Girl emerge from the woods with knives, axes, and some very bad intentions. From that point on, this becomes a movie where people make terrible decisions and frequently scream, Leave us alone! The spooky opening, complete with anxiety-inducing music, a bit of murder, and a title card claiming that the tale you're about to see is, quote, based on true events, sets up the film's uneasy atmosphere. It is a queasy-making experience that stems from the idea of people doing awful things for no reason. It's nihilism. Bad things just happen, and that's the creepy part. I asked star Christina Hendricks if it was the non-supernatural element of the terror that made this movie so unsettling and if she was a fan of the original Strangers film from 2008. Here's what she had to say. You're like me. That is my absolute worst nightmare. Just people messing with you just because. It's not a devil thing. It's not a monster thing. It's not an apocalypse. It's literally just people coming to mess with you because they can that is my worst nightmare. Besides just the, the topic of it, mm -hmm. something about the masks, they're, they're done so well. They're so eerie. They're so completely eerie. And it, just, it was just a really well-made movie yeah. in general. Um, and I have to say, you know, in the first one, that first stranger knocks on the door and says, is Tamara there? And the way she said it, freaked me out and when I was doing the scene where they knock on the door and say is Chandler there it was like 
chilling through my body because I had the memory of seeing the first one. And after we rehearsed it for the first time, I turned around and I was like, oh, my God, you guys, I'm in the streets. <laughs> that was the moment for me, was that, that line that just gets under your skin and the way she says it is just the creepiest thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, and my best friend's name is Tamara, so. Oh, really? <laughs> so she could have, you know, practiced, yeah. rehearsed with you by coming up and introducing herself. The jump scares are secondary to the notion of the ruthless, baseless murderers. The family is generic, just victims waiting to be taken. The villains are the stars, even though their faces are covered and they barely speak. They're not thrill killers. They don't actually seem to take much pleasure in their work, despite their penchant for listening to syrupy pop music and leaving a bloody happy face symbol at the scene of their crimes. They are primal evil, nothing more. The Strangers Pray at Night is tight. It's only 85 minutes long and values suspense over gore, but is very unsettling. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you have a look at any one of these movies and that it helps fill up the minutes and hours that we're all trying so desperately to pass during these days of isolation. It's a pleasure coming to you. I'm Richard Krauss. Remember, we will get through this one movie at a time. We'll speak to you again next time.